Welcome back to the Dynasty Digest, where we give you a consumable dynasty perspective. I'm Jake, joined as always by Tim. But before we hop into this week's episode, you already know we got to roll that intro. Welcome. You're listening to JWB Fantasy Football. Thanks for listening. This week, we are doing a kind of a reaction, almost in a sense, uh, to the week one performances that we have seen so far. Tim, why don't you break down for the fans listening what we're doing a little bit? Yeah, so we're going to go over performances that we think are noteworthy, either good or bad. And then we're going to talk about if we're sweating for them or if we're not sweating for them. So if it's if it's a good performance and we're sweating for them, that means we're pretty excited. It makes us all hot and bothered. If it's no sweat, we're not going to overreact to it. If it's bad and we're sweaty, we're getting a little scared. And if it's no sweat, we're not reacting too much to the week. All right. And with that being said, I'm going to hop right into my first one here. And I am sweating in the sense that I don't care about Kendrick Bourne's performance. It was really good. It, it helped Mac Jones be one of the top fantasy quarterbacks on the week, which is something that Tim and I absolutely love um, as co-managers in a league where Mac Jones is essentially our quarterback one at this point. Um, but really for me, it's that offense is it's going to be a lot like we used to see out of old Patriots offense, even some of the old Sean Payton offenses, where I think every week it's going to be a different guy. This week it was Kendrick Bourne. He's finding the end zone. Awesome. Next week, it's going to be Juju. Then, you know, who knows? Kayshawn, Kayshawn Booty is going to have a two-touchdown game. Like, it's just going to be all over the place. The, the, the far more intriguing performance in that game for me was actually Hunter Henry. I think it kind of solidified what we all thought of him being the true tight end one in that offense. Gesicki's an awesome player at what he can do. It's just that what he can do isn't what this offense really wants him to do. So for me, you know, I'm not sweating that that Kendrick Bourne performance. I'm not going to overhype him. If you want to throw a third or fourth round pick out to uh, the current manager to see if you can get him, I don't think that's going to work after this performance. But it is definitely, you know, it's worth monitoring. Keep an eye on it for a few weeks and just see how it goes. Maybe if you find an opportunity later in the year where they're down on him, you can throw a fourth that way. Just because you now know, you know what his upside is. You know, he's got a two touchdown game under his belt to start the year. 24.4 points uh, this week. So he's obviously you know capable of doing that he's had good performances in the past so it's not like this is a true oh my gosh we've never seen this before but it's I think this is just going to be a wholly unpredictable offense for most of the year yeah it was said in the group chat by uh Anana Duri that uh or Nanduri excuse me that uh what you do is you pick the Patriots player that you don't recognize their name and you start them because that'll be the week that they go off but yeah. I do want to say we did say to buy Hunter Henry and we have been preaching have been preaching the buy Mac Jones. So I'm not too surprised by this performance. The thing is, is we have to ask ourselves, is this the ceiling? Because he had about 23 points. And if you kind of look even at like Tua's performance, right? He had a great week. But without the rushing, the performance is, is really, the ceiling is capped where he right. didn't even hit 30 points. So those are just situations in which is he going to go back to 18, 19, 20 points per game? which still isn't bad, but if we're starting to try to plan our weeks around 23 to 25 per, uh, point performances from Mac, it might be a losing strategy. Yeah, I don't know how many times this year Mac is going to throw the ball 54 times. It, I, and if that's what he needs to hit the ceiling, that's why we're telling, we've been telling you, even when we've been hyping him up, he's a quarterback too. 
he is a guy that you're going to throw in your super flex spot and it's going to be you know a better upside option for you in case he has a game like this but you you have to recognize that the ce the ceiling is just immensely capped especially when you consider the talent around him like Kendrick Bourne had a good game but he's not a superstar Juju's not a superstar healthy Devontae Parker's not a superstar Keishon Booty's not a superstar Demario Douglas isn't a superstar like there, there's just not enough talent to to make this performance super consistent here but I do I, we have liked Mac as a buy option and I think that is very just kind of entrenched for me now I, I'm still in on paying you know up to a second for him you know, second plus a little bit of something. I'm not going into the first round pick range. I'm just not doing that for a quarterback too. But if you can work a deal, if you see a guy who's got Mac on his bench, he's not starting him, he needs a little bit of upside, you could throw, you know, a second round pick and, and maybe an attractive rookie option or a younger option that way and just see what you get out of it. Or even trying, you know, uh, Ryan Tannehill looked awful. So maybe, you know, somebody's going to think that will levis is going to have his breakout at some point so maybe you try like will levis in a third just to see what happens um just because i think mac is going to be a, a more valuable long-term option to you than either of those pieces absolutely and something i wanted to preface this whole section with but i forgot is do not overreact do not it's just one data point on the season i understand we're finally getting looks at what truly what the offenses look like and things like that now there are things that i do have concerns about and i'm going to bring those up but on the overall, make sure that you're just taking this in as data. You're, you're making decisions off of it, but you're not going to go and blow up your entire roster because of one week, especially if like you're looking at like a Giants team that played a really good Cowboys defense. And, and you could even think about it from the reverse that, oh, the Cowboys defense looked amazing. They're not going to put up 37 every week in fantasy for, t for groups that have, you know, um, fancy defenses still and we're looking more at like the dynasty implications as well so at this point where uh, the discussion is kind of how they performed and if we want to react to go and buy based on their performance or if maybe there's a, a, a buy window or even a sell window based on their performance so that's kind of what we're looking at is the the more data points we get throughout the season as we continue to do this series we're going to have more accurate um visions of what the scenarios are looking like as well as what the values are as well so just that's kind of the thing is just kind of pay attention to where what we're looking at and what is valuable and what is not yeah and one thing to keep in mind with that too especially this week one i think really highlighted it john daigle had a really good thread on twitter where he was basically breaking down uh how some of the performances of certain players may not be actually indicative of what their role is going to be or their workload it's going to look like like paris campbell ran the most routes of giants receivers he was fifth on the team in routes run at halftime uh kyron out snapped cam Akers by a substantial amount until they were up by 17 points like there's he broke it down really, really well. So it's a really great resource and just things to keep in mind here. And I, I agree with that. And there's actually a guy I want to bring up that kind of uh, connects to that exact point. And that's Roshan. And I'm huge on Roshan. I love Roshan. But don't go look at his performance and go, hey, he's the new starter. Because no. you're, we're going to wait till the team makes any sort of indication or he actually gets moved on the depth chart. Because all of that production came after the game was already over. And like, like I said, I'm probably the biggest Roshan fan that's out there, but I'm not reacting to this whatsoever because it was in a game that was already over. They probably were giving him some run to see what he could do. He had some, some success, but that doesn't mean he's going to change the depth chart because of it. Yeah, at least not right away. And, and the Bears, I think, are a really good example of uh, guys that I'm also just generally not overreacting one way or another. Um, I'm in a group chat of a bunch of other people in the fantasy space who are Bears fans, and we all kind of agreed that, like, 
a lot of the starters that the Bears were playing this week missed a lot of time in the preseason, whether that was due to injury, holdout, whatever it may be. So it almost looked like a preseason game for the Bears. So they were, you know, they still had a bunch of called screen passes, no design runs called for fields, like just not taking advantage of the situations they had anyway there. So a guy like DJ Moore, who only got two targets, I'm not sweating something like that right now. Um, Darnell Mooney, I think has exactly the role that I expected him to have. So I still think you should buy Darnell Mooney. He gives you, you know, some really solid flex upside throughout the season, but with the running back room, especially, you know, this becomes something to monitor because they did have some success with him on the field, passing the ball to him. Does that get him a larger role when they need more passing upside or just because of his pass blocking ability, which he also showcased during the game, you know, does that play into the hand later on in the year? Absolutely. But I'm just not overselling him right now or, you know, buying any more than I was prior I need we need to see how a lot of this stuff fleshes out a lot more before we really make big investments like that I I want to just approach what you said real quick with Mooney a little bit it may not be this week it may be in a week or two maybe in the next time that we we have our dynasty segment in the, the redraft season where we discuss player performances but start to identify or look for guys after performances that you may be able to sell high on for guys mm-hmm. like Mooney, where you flip someone that looks like they're a flex, but they're not, they're not actually flex worthy to a guy that is, plus you can get something else on top potentially. Um, I don't have a great example this week just because I don't think there's been a ton of performances that would really allow us to do that right now or allow us to, to pre- perform that action right now, but um, definitely something to consider. But I wanted to get into my first sweat of the week. And it's actually, it's going to be Christian Kirk. It's one of my guys all off season. He was one of my guys going into our, my guy section before the season started. But I, I want to say I, I rewatched the game and there is some concern for me on, on Kirk. Now I'm not going to make any reactionary moves, but this is, these are things I'm going to have to consider um, based on the, even the formations in place. That's that they came out in, in the entire game. They weren't running as much 11 personnel. They weren't, they weren't running as much three wide receiver set uh, uh, consistently because it looked like the focus really for, for Peterson was he wanted to get the run game established. And yep. he tried to do that all game. There were two tight end sets, you know, uh, I think say Jones and Ridley are out there together to try to get more run blocking success rates from the wide receiver position. So I think that the, the focus has changed as well as I'm, I also believe that they're letting, they're letting Trevor Lawrence kind of uncap himself where he's delivering the ball outside a lot more often. Mm -hmm. Now I want to give the Colts a lot of credit. They played great defense. Their offense was pretty subpar where they only actually put up 14 points and they had some different um, situations based on weird turnovers where they had better field position than, than they usually would like turnovers on downs. There was an interception and a fumble, all that stuff. So just some things to pay, pay attention to is that it's probably not going to be that they play against the, um, a defense so good every week because I think the Colts defense performed way better than a lot of people were expecting going into the season where there weren't really any inside routes to to target there was I when I watched the game again I counted two times where where Kirk was really open underneath mm-hmm. but he targeted guys either deeper or outside where there was one in the fourth quarter he targeted Ridley where Kirk was basically wide open but he went further down this down um, the sideline and another one in the first half which was kind of the same and they were kind of flipped plays where one all the action was to the left and one all the action was to the right so it looks like there is more tendency to want to throw outside but it could just be because of how the defense was played this week so that's another reason why i'm kind of waiting and holding off but there was way more 
um, variation inside of their their concept as well as the players that they had on the, the personnel that they had on the field. So those are things that really consider and see if that's a trend going forward. But I was pretty um, underwhelmed with this rushing attack uh, all, all game against the Colts. So we'll see if that continues with the Colts defense where they really, the running backs, both of them really salvaged their day in the fourth quarter. So it could be a touchy situation with even ETN's value, as well as the fact that Bigsby definitely looks like the goal line uh, back. But at this point, I'm kind of just holding on Kirk. I might even I might even sit him next week, depending on how I feel about the matchup, because I want to see if they kind of revert back, if it was the coverage that dictated where the ball went, or if they are really just looking for Ridley as their one right now. Yeah, generally speaking, I'm not overly concerned about it. This did happen at times last year, too, where... admittedly, when you have a lot of talented pass catchers in a room, there's going to be games where the stud or who you may perceive as the stud in the offense doesn't get the opportunities that you're looking for. It's going to be Calvin Ridley at some point this year where Calvin Ridley is probably going to put up a similar performance here because if Doug Peterson does one thing really, really well, it's he plays to not only the strengths of his team, but the weaknesses of the opponent's defense. So I think it was really... Just an opportunity that he saw, you know, we can attack these guys outside. Their linebackers are pretty decent. They can drop guys into coverage, um, you know, kind of eliminate Kirk's role a little bit and and make sure he's not as big of a weapon. And to be honest, I think the Colts, as well as myself, were kind of underestimating what Calvin Ridley was capable of coming back. Um, And so for me, you know, obviously, if, if you bought him congratulations you can try and buy him now but it's going to cost you a first round pick plus after that performance so um don't don't hop out uh and try and buy calvin ridley right now you miss that window it happens but i'm i'm also with you i'm probably sitting kirk next week where i have him um just need to see how that offer that you know that room fleshes itself out a little bit more before i jump in one way or another um one absolutely no sweat for me like this this is a thing that happened and I don't care about it whatsoever, is Joe Burrow. I don't care that Joe Burrow put up 3.18 points this week. I'm not selling him. I'm not. The dude had a pretty serious calf injury, missed a lot of practice, missed a lot of very important reps with the team, and had to go out there and play against a Browns team that actually looked pretty good. So, you know, I'm not overreacting to this. I'm not overreacting to Jamar Chase's performance. Just basically everything that happened in that game, I'm basically just putting it in a bag and throwing it out the window. I, I do not care what happened week one for this Bengals team. This is going to be a good team throughout the rest of this year, and I just could not be any less concerned about this situation. So Joe Burrow has yet to beat the Browns. He's 0-4 in his, in his starts against the Browns, which is interesting. And they had great success when they put uh, Garrett in the middle as like the middle linebacker, basically. Mm-hmm. I think he, he had a sack and like two pressures or like, I don't think they completed a pass or got a yard when he was a uh, bit as the middle linebacker. So I agree with you. Ugly, ugly conditions. They did look a little bit off and it was probably due to the fact that Burrow had missed some time due, due to that injury. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm not worried about it whatsoever. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those things where somebody out there is going to overreact. If you see T Higgins pop up on your trade, your trade block, Send an offer. Just see what you can get out of him. If somebody's going to panic that quickly, you have to take advantage of it. But if you are a manager of any of these players who are listening to us right now, there's no reason to sell any Browns players at this point. It was a fluke bad performance that's going to happen. Even Tom Brady had some stinkers in his career. It's just it's a thing that's going to happen in the NFL from time to time. We got it out of the way in week one. I don't I don't imagine this offense to look this bad the rest of the year. 
one of uh i would i want to bring up another sweat and i well it could be a sweat or no sweat but i want to bring up jordan love jordan love went for 15 15 for 27 245 uh three touchdowns three rushes for 12 yards for a 22 point performance the reason why i want to bring him up is because there are some things from both myself watching as a packer fan and watching as someone that likes football I wasn't as impressed as a lot of other people were. Now, I understand he put the points up, and I think that's good because if he can consistently do that, regardless of how well he performs as a quarterback, it's not going to matter. But he only had 113 air yards and 245 um, passing yards. So he got a lot of good yak out uh, after completing easy passes to his underneath receivers, especially Aaron Jones, who what he had 86 receiving yards, I want to say, this week. Yep, on um, two receptions. So there, there's uh, just some scenarios in which you know, the coverages aren't as easy next week or the weeks afterwards and the, the offense sputters a little bit. So I just want to kind of put that out there. 15 for 27 isn't great, especially when you're not really putting the ball in the air uh, deep downfield or anything like that. And go back and look even at the play to Musgrave. Musgrave had to stand there, wait for it so long he fell over. So there's just scenarios in which he might not perform as well against a, a more fine tune and uh, competitive defense. So just keep that in mind. So I, I'm not sweating getting excited about it. I'm not no sweating it saying it didn't, didn't happen because it did. And if he can carry it forward, that'll be nice. But it just, it's not as good as um, the performance as other people want to label it as. So I just want to make that, uh, put that in the atmosphere. Same here. And with that game being something that we're talking about here, I think we are in a clear sell window for Romeo Dubs, personally. Um, he's not a great football player. He was just the best football player playing a bad team. Like the Bears looked awful. We already we already covered that. As a Bears fan, hurts me to say, but it's just an objective truth. Dobbs is not going to repeat this performance very very frequently. So if you can get somebody to buy high on Romeo Dobbs, I'm absolutely open to moving him off my rosters. Just one thing I do want to throw out there. I think in a vacuum that's right. Not saying anything good or bad about Dobbs or what you said, but like for Do players that are that are of Dobbs's cal caliber that that should be kind of the practice is that you you get this overperforming asset and you can sell them at above market value for some more consistent or found more foundational piece that's something i would definitely look at for sure because if you can maybe move dobbs in a pick to upgrade to a wide receiver that's uh, a little bit more consistent or like if he hadn't gone off this week let's say Pittman had a bad week Pittman would be a guy i would target with dobbs and another another player or a pick or something like that to make a move for because there are are there are players and teams that are completely out on Pittman before his performance. Obviously, he played really well, but we were always saying to target the target share, and Pittman had always had that. So um, it was kind of there was always kind of a split on how people viewed him, and there might have been a team or two that had him that really wasn't too high on him that could you could have made a move for if he didn't play so well week one. So that's just kind of an approach I'd have is in in situations where you have just certain tier level players try to tear up if you can especially after performances like that 100 percent um one more player for me that um i'm sweating this in a good way it makes me just really happy to see it it's kyron williams as a notre dame fan you know i'm never not gonna love my notre dame guys showing out here but as i already alluded to earlier in the episode he was the running back one in the offense until they had a massive lead and they were just like okay cam go ahead and the only reason Cam even had a passable week was because he fell into the end zone. The dude had 22 carries for 29 yards. That is horrible efficiency 
for somebody who has looked really efficient at times. And I don't think it was simply because, you know, Seattle has a really great run defense. I have kind of always thought that Cam Akers isn't very good. Um, and this performance really just shows me that I am a, a little bit vindicated in my my Cam Akers uh, fading for so long, um, just because that is that is really, really bad. And Kyron looked pretty good. He had some good runs. Um, he was also the only running back in the room to get any targets. So that's that's a plus there as well. Um, so I think Kyron, you know, he's definitely a buy candidate for me. See what see what is out there for you. Um, if you have Akers, just hold him at this point. The value probably can't go any lower. Um, but if he has a boom week at any point here, uh, I'm trying to flip him for, if I can get a single second round pick at this point, I'm happy. Just get out of him as, as quickly as you can. Once he has one of those good performances, there's no point in selling after, you know, uh, 1.15 or whatever yards per carry game that is with no targets and just a <laughs> lucky touchdown. It, it's, I don't think he's going to consistently be this bad, but him being this level of bad, even with a touchdown, is a big reason why I've been so anti Akers for so long. Yeah, I can't say I wasn't rooting to get, I wasn't rooting for Kyron to get his third touchdown at the end of the game. I'm not going to lie to you. But I think something to pull away from this whole thing with the Rams is that this offense has points to produce. They're like, there are opportunities in this offense to produce points. We just have to figure out who those people are going to be. And, uh, I, I mean, if Kyron continues to get the work, I don't see a reason for why it would slow down. We are all kind of low on on Kyron as an industry, you know, after his rookie season. But there might have been a, a corner turn, or they decided that they like the fit better, and he ran he ran pretty uh, uh, with a pretty good amount of attitude this last Sunday. So we'll see if that continues. Um, I'm excited to see what happens going forward because I I have him on a, a like back end of roster because I, of the rumblings earlier in the, the off season or like closer to the right. season, I should say that Kyron might get some work. And I was like, mm, we'll just hold on to him and see what happens. So it's been pretty nice on the flip side though. I am sweating the Seattle backfield. And the reason being, I understand that the, the Rams defense play, played really, really inspired. So I yep. think everyone that said that they were going to come out and be terrible, blah, 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 underestimated them. And they may not always play to this level every week, but the lack of total rushing attempts for the Seahawks is what scares me. I think they did because I know I know Walker only had 12 and I think Charbonnet only had three. So it had to have been under 20 rushing attempts for the entire the entire game. And that's a little bit concerning, especially with the lack of production from Gino. And Gino only threw the ball 26 times. So I don't know if this offense just wasn't up to par um, week one or if the Rams just played really good defense. But something I'm looking out for are, are those rush attempt numbers just because they're so low. And for us to expect running backs to come out and perform uh, without the volume is just kind of um, uh, we're not, we're doing them a disservice. So that's, you know, just something to pay attention to a little bit. I do think a promising thing for Kenneth Walker though, is Zach Charbonnet didn't really have much play in the game. Didn't run the ball a whole lot. He also uh, didn't take any of the passing work away. The only other running back who got a target was DJ Dallas. So it's not like Charbonnet is really stepping into a huge role right away. Um, so I think that is, at least semi-promising for Walker this year, if they're going to trust him to be out on the field uh, more frequently in those passing situations. Um, you know, he's still not super efficient uh, catching passes. He had four receptions for three yards, um, but <laughs> five targets is a promising thing for a player like him who does not have pass catching historically in their bag. Um, so it, it is a plus there. And like you said, I don't expect this offense to be this bad. I really just think they underestimated the Rams too heavily which is something that we do see too frequently going into week one. Week one games typically 
aren't super indicative of how a team is going to perform long term. Um, so that's why a lot of these situations that we're telling you about also are just a lot of wait and sees. We got to we got to figure out what's going on with these teams. And one week is a, it's a start, but it's not we're not getting the whole picture. We're barely getting the frame. I had uh, one other bad sweat and one other good sweat. A bad sweat I got is Connor, James Connor. He went uh, uh, 14 carries, 62 yards. He ended up with 12 points. That's because he caught all five pass attempts that were sent his way. So um, I know Washington has a good front, but he kind of saved his bacon with just getting receptions. So that's something just to kind of pay attention to a little bit on Connor to see if if that changes in future matchups and what – Josh Dobbs, I think he would had 100 and like 170 yards passing, and he was like 80% of it was air yards. So there was almost, there was almost no yak after his passes. Mm. So they're not even getting bonus yards on any sort of passing either. Just something to pay attention to. It may be uh, what is the considered the new norm, or this just may be an off week because of the defense they played against. Yeah, I'm I'm not overly concerned with Connor. The the workload is was what we expected it to be, um, which is really what matters most to me. Keontae Ingram had five carries for negative four yards. He's not impacting uh, Connor's position in the room there. Um, and if you look at like the target leaders for that offense, it was all all low vol- like low a dot low like Zach Ertz had ten targets coming off of a torn ACL. Zach Ertz's uh, average yards per catch was three and a half. Yeah, it's. <laughs> The, Josh Dobbs is not going to force the ball down the field. Is that a good thing for Connor? Yes, in the sense that he, he's going to continue to probably salvage his week with five, six, seven catches for 12 yards. And so if you're in PPR, half PPR leagues, obviously that's a plus to you. But, you know, we do need to see this offense look a little bit better than we saw because we expected bad, but that was a little bit, that was a rough game to watch. That one may or may not have got turned off at the bar I was at. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, uh, a, a sweat for me um, is, uh, and this is in a a not good, not bad way. So I, I don't even know if I really can call it's it a cold sweat. sweat. It's a cold sweat. Um, and that's Rashid Shahid because he had a very good game. You know, he had uh, five, rece- five receptions on six targets for 89 yards and a touchdown. Had a couple rushes as well. Tim, I know you have some things you want to say with Shahid here. I'm hesitant to buy into the hype there. More so what makes this a sweat for me is the impact it's going to have on the other pieces of the offense, uh, namely Chris Olave and Michael Thomas. Obviously, they both had pretty decent games in their own right. Um, but Shahid, you know, I don't want to get too excited here. So that's where I think I'm making it a cold sweat is like, I don't want to be as excited as I am, but the dude was really efficient last year. He's one of the most efficient receivers in terms of yards per out run last year. And it looks like he might be on pace to do that again. Yeah. I, so we, we have different sections of uh, subject matter. We want to talk about after kind of going through the sweat, no sweat. So I don't want to say too much, but with Prashid Shahid, I, I, he excites me because of the fact that I think they use him in just this multi-facets. I think even right now they're kind of using him in a semi-small Kamara role because he's even getting you know attempts out of the backfield and then receiving out of the backfield. He also goes deep. But I don't think this is something that you can consistently plan on using in your lineup right. currently. So I don't know if it's something that you want to pay uh, anything of any sort of major value. And I'm saying like major value when I'm talking about like a third, like a third might be my cap in, in any sort of offer right now for Shahid. 
But if you have him, definitely someone that you're like, you know, pretty excited about on your roster as potential future flex moving forward. Because, you know, we don't expect, at least I don't, I, I'm not sure Michael Thomas is going to stay healthy all year. And um, he, his performance kind of fell off uh, as the game went on. He had more routes run and, or, or, or yeah, snaps uh, than um, Shahid did, but Shahid definitely performed better as the game went along. So I don't know if, if, good old mt got gassed or if he just kind of fell out of the game plan so just something to pay attention to there but yeah i think that if you can get shaheed at a, a cheaper price like go and do that but i after performances like this like it's like telling telling you to trade for rookies like it just it, it's there's no benefit or use to even saying that because you're just going to overpay yep it's it's definitely an upside flex grab and with those upside picks, we we have we've repeatedly stressed it. We stressed it the entire offseason. You can't make a premium premium investment in just upside until we see some consistency there. So unless Michael Thomas gets hurt, unless something drastic changes, you know, I'm I'm lukewarm on him. If I have him, definitely holding him. Maybe maybe looking to sell him, um, seeing you know what you can force out of people there. Um, but you know realistically, he's he's in a really good hold spot where I think you're just gonna have to accept that upside sits on your bench for a little bit and just see if it if it's you know is sustainable. If it's a, if it sustains for two or three weeks, you know then then we're talking um, at least something. Whereas right now it, it's almost reminiscent of like. Uh, Curtis Samuel early last year where he was getting some, he was getting targets out of the backfield. He was getting some carries. We're like, is this the year? And then it wasn't. So, you know, be tame on it, but just accept it. But um, that being said, you know, I think that is kind of a perfect transition here over into, you know, the players that we are looking at as targets. Um, so Tim, why don't you tell us who, you know, some of your favorite targets right now are. Yeah. First one is going to be Chuba. Um, I've been with Wyatt and I'm not sure who else is on the bandwagon at JWB with Chuba, but I think that Chuba is a, a really good op option to kind of go after as a cheap running back option because even this week, you know, I've been saying it and I was a Miles Sanders guy where I was like, I think his value will drop or you can be able to trade for him like in the off season, mm -hmm. but it never, that never happened. His ADP always reflected overpriced. The running back uh, rank was good at running back 21, but he was going like 56 overall, which is way too early. And he was only getting 50% of the snaps in week one. So it continues the trend that he just isn't that lead lead guy. And Chuba may not have the greatest standalone value. He had 8.9 points this week in PPR, which is close to maybe being a flex option. But like if, if Sanders were to go down or if Sanders were to lose the role and Chuba's role were to get bigger, I think that you would see nice, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14 point weeks from him. And it would be a pretty easy flex start where obviously you're not using him as your RB1 or your RB2 because you haven't drafted that way. So I just see there, there being opportunity uh, with him and he might be someone I want to go target depending on the price. I may go ask about him. It just depends on how hot or cold the other manager is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you fully there. You know, I'm not aboard the Chuba train, but I, I'm starting to look at tickets. We'll, we'll put it that way. It's not something that I'm fully in on, but but it's right there. Um, I actually want to bring up kind of two guys at the same time here. And these are both guys who, based on week one, are going to have standalone roles, but also offer that same kind of, you know, really, really strong upside if something were to happen to the starter there. And that's both Josh Kelly and Tyler Algier. While, and I think 
even though they're coming off of really strong performances, we've seen enough bad out of Josh Kelly to know to like the managers that have him are going to just be trying to get out of him as quickly as possible. Um, so I still think the discount is going to be baked in there, especially, you know, with the report to, coming out today that Eckler's dealing with a little bit of something. It's Austin Eckler. He's kind of always dealing with a little something and then he just still shows up and, and does what he does. But if the week one usage is any indication, they are not afraid to run the ball with them. Um, so there is some upside there. And then Tyler Algier, I mean, the dude had 75 yards and two touchdowns on 15 carries, most carries on the team, still had three targets, even though Bijan led the team in targets and had 10 carries in his own right and a touchdown. This offense is going to run through that running back room. It shouldn't surprise anybody here. Um, but I mentioned Tyler Algier in one of our, our Keep Trade Cut episodes throughout the offseason as well as a really strong buy. And I've been hammering that he should be looked at as one of the elite handcuffs here. And I think that's really what you're getting both out of Josh Kelly and Tyler Algier. You're not going to be paying premium prices for either of them because of the names that are in front of them. But these are guys who are going to consistently be solid running back twos for you. You know, guys you can feel pretty decent comfort throwing in your lineup here or even as a flex option for you if you want to throw some running backs in the flex spot. So I think both of those guys offer some really unique upside at pretty reduced cost just because you, you know that everybody knows they're not taking the starting jobs away from Austin Eckler and Bijan Robinson. So just inherently as a as a handcuff, even a premium handcuff, you're not going to be spending the same amount to acquire these guys as you are, you know, a lot of other names on the market. I agree. I it's I never thought I'd be saying to go go get Josh Kelly, but yeah, yeah, me neither. Against Miami, they already proved it, like that they're willing enough to run the football even when they have Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert, what he had one touchdown yesterday, which I was, hurts me because I told you to start both Chargers uh, pass catchers in my uh, uh, scare prayer and square with Skyler. So I'm going to eat curl on that one this week. So unfortunately, but um, yeah, I just think that the offense is so high powered that. Basically, Herbert can do whatever he wants, but then also they they have such success, you know, and you're integrating two running backs right now that that second back position is going to be valuable with the Chargers because they're going to want to spell, you know, Eckler or them they're going to want to remove some some violence in his game when it comes to even maybe some goal line stuff in the future. So I think that that whoever it is and currently it's Kelly, I think they they have staying power, they have value, definitely. So just talking real quick about another goal line back, I, I, I'm talking about Bigsby and I'm not, I was never really a big tank fan, but it's very clear and eminent to me. I know that's only been one week and I know that it could change, but based on the usage and based on even the way that they're the kind of the intention of the coaching staff, Bigsby is the goal line guy. He just is. I don't think they want to use uh, ETN down there at all. I think they're like, yeah, if ETN, if you want to score some rushing touchdowns, you got to hit it from 26 yards out like you did against the Colts. But if, you know, if Bigby gets a touchdown uh, and then uh, just some decent amount of work, doesn't throw the, the ball away or throw it off his hands to make it an interception for Lawrence or fumble the ball when he's just standing there thinking the play is over and it affects his, his point total, I think you're looking at a pretty pretty easy double-digit score because I think that this uh, this Jacksonville offense is just going to be too consistent. And I, th- I personally think that they're going to go nuclear because I love Trevor Lawrence, that they're going to be in the red zone a lot. And Bigsby, even if he gets a small portion of the pie, is going to be a decent enough uh, scoring for him to probably be a flex option. Yeah, I like the call there. Um, one last player that I really want to target, you, and the only reason I'm saying to buy this player off of a big performance is due to the fact that he s- suffered a concussion during the game, and that's Jacoby Myers. 
He was second in the entire NFL in week one in targets inside the five-yard line. And so if he is going to be the red zone target for that offense, I think that offense showed us that they can actually be pretty decent. They, Jimmy G can move the ball down the field. He's not a superstar. We know that. But they can move the ball down the field. He's, you know, And Jacoby Myers, if you look at pretty much every separation metric, the dude gets open. He's not the fastest guy in the world. He's not the twitchiest guy in the world. Doesn't have the best hands. Not the best contested catch guy. But the dude knows how to get open. Um, so I've always been a huge Jacoby Myers fan. And I think the concussion is the only reason you're going to be able to get some discount on him. Um, especially if you're flipping you know, another player for him as opposed to a pick. Like if you have a Nico Collins, for example, who also had a pretty decent game to start the year off. I think if you can flip somebody like him straight up for Jacoby Myers, you're going to have to deal with Myers probably not playing next week uh, with the concussion protocol. And you know, you're just going to accept the concussion risk throughout the rest of the year. But it, Myers showed you what he's capable of in week one and if that's going to be his role in this offense he's going to be consistently a really valuable flex option for a lot of players yeah I, I underestimated him um i thought that he would be competing with you know hunter renfro i thought he was more of a system wide receiver because of new england but he's proven to be a really capable receiver opposite uh Devante. and Devante is not always going to have uh i'm gonna forget his name right now sertan uh, this yeah, week, you know, exactly. going against one of the top corners every single time. But when he does, it creates opportunity for the second option, which is which is easily Myers right now. And I agree with you that he's definitely a guy, especially if you look at like rookie Creek QBs. And we're looking at uh, Stroud right now with Houston. Stroud didn't play terribly, but he didn't deal with pressure well. So they are limited then in their touchdown upside when it comes to the receiving threats in that offense. So. If you're going to an offense that's a little bit more dynamic, especially as a second option in Jacoby, I don't hate that. I think that's uh, not a terrible idea to make that trade. Now, if you're a young team, you might want to hold on to Collins, you know, just for the the, the window um, opportunity. Yep. But if you're competing, you might just say, hey, I'm going to forego this because, you know, Collins value has been up and down the last, uh, what is it, three years now? two years now that he uh you know it's just been either you're in on him at the right time or you're out on him at the right time and this just might be the right time i had one more i want to just quickly say jake ferguson now he might still be treated like a lot of rookies are where they're just really hard to trade for so he might just not be an option but if he you can still get him cheap i would and especially uh, he was only two for seven with 11 yards but he's heavily going to be heavily uh targeted seven he had basically had seven targets in the game they didn't have to throw the football once and one of those was an end zone target that he nearly self-tipped where he could have, you know, recovered on the second uh, touch. So I think, uh, I think that they're pretty, they're going to be pretty good weeks going forward for Ferguson. Now I'm not saying to go offer like a ton for him, but test the waters, at least see, at least see what the manager in your, your room thinks, especially if he only comes off that 3.1 points points uh, performance, he may be willing to move a little bit easier than someone else. hundred percent hopping over into uh potential value changes, which kind of is the last thing that we want to talk about here. We want to start off by talking about Drake London. One target week one. Thoughts? Well, it was low going into the season. I think I had him at wide receiver 31. I think you were right there and maybe the same or maybe lower. Pretty similar range, if I recall. I can pull up for, my ranks here. but it for, was For redraft. Now, he's much higher for me for dynasty, but the problem is uh, he's <laughs> he got one target. Yeah, and I don't I know it, if that's... I had 29 yeah, so, so basically, right, basically, basically locked up yeah mid, mid wide receiver three so i think london is a buy if you can withstand the fact that you're probably not going to get great points from him this season so for me i'm going to be tracking his value to see if it continues to drop 
I'm not going to make an offer this week because then you just look like a, a vulture on uh, players like this. And it actually hurts your relationship with teams like that, that, that possess these players where you might be trying to under uh, pay lower than sticker on, on a player like that, where even just, you know, three days ago, the price would have been much higher. So I'm probably going to wait a couple weeks, you know, see if the, if it continues. And if it does, I might offer a productive wide receiver right now that I can maybe flip and get London for a team that might be competing and um, go from there. But yeah, he's definitely a guy I want. He's just not a guy I want to, I want to start right now. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's one of those guys where you're you're betting on the talent to overcome the situation at some point and you're betting on the essentially you're just bet, betting on the Falcons to not make the playoffs again and hope that Arthur Smith is not the offensive coordinator there next year. So, yeah. I I like the call there. Yeah, he's in a great buy window, um especially if this sustains. If we see one or two more games of really just no anything, managers who are in a semi-competitive spot or, you know, are having good weeks, but they're they're missing out because they keep throwing him in their lineup. That's when the window is really going to open up and you're going to have a, some really strong opportunities there to buy. The the biggest problem that we have is that the Falcons lost a lot of close games last year and they, they went close to 500, where if they start winning the close games or start beating the teams that they're better than based on the fact that they're scoring more touchdowns or they're stopping rookie wide or rookie quarterbacks like Bryce Young, that could be a, um, a really bad omen because, you know, they win 10, 11 games, they make the playoffs. They may not be replacing Ritter and that that's a problem. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's going to get more gross before it gets better, but mm -hmm. take advantage of the dip in value there. Um, a couple more wide receivers, uh, just real quick, Rasheed Rice and Jamison Williams. Um, both, uh, both of their teams played in week one. Jamison, obviously, he was uh, throwing down too many parlays on, on DraftKings or wherever uh, to be playing in the game. But um, it was clear that they just needed somebody who could take the top off of a defense because their underneath game is, is very solid between Laporta, Amon Ross, St. Brown, what, they're, what they're, uh, their backfield offers them. But really, they, they needed somebody to stretch the field. And, and Khalif Raymond is fast, but that's it. Um, so, you know, that, that's really the only opportunity that we saw there, you know, Josh Reynolds, uh, had a pretty good week. He's probably going to be that field stretcher for the offense for the time being. Um, but I'm actually kind of intrigued in, uh, what Jamie's or Jamison can bring to this team here. Um, and then on Rasheed Rice, man, uh, it's not so much that he's good, uh, as much as it is that Kadarius Tony is awful. <laughs> Tony had an under 20% uh, or under 20 snaps. I think, I think he had like 17 or 19 snaps and he might've had the worst game in, in receiver history. My, my favorite part of the whole thing is Andy Reed being like, I'm surprised he dropped the ball so many times. That's not who he is while he's sitting here with an 11% career drop rate. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I really like the Jameson idea. Uh, Jameson Williams, Rasheed Rice could just be their number one and he might just produce points on a weekly basis because he just is the receiver, like you said. But I think that you should continue to see about Jameson Williams price because if it continues to go down and uh, as Jake said, I think that there's going to be an opportunity for a uh, speed or vertical wide receiver in this offense to really help open it up because the way that they, they don't have to defend the run with Goff really helps the defense that goes against the lions and when that happens you need as many threats as possible to then open up the running game and uh just create different space that the the, the defense has to cover where if you're not having to cover cover like 
certain yardage down the middle of the field or down a sideline. It just really doesn't create openings even for Amon Ra. So I think that there is an opportunity for him to come back. Josh, Josh Reynolds put up 12 this week, and it was very, very quiet, but it was very useful, especially when it came to the Lions winning the game. So I think that you get a guy that's even more um, of a threat deep, it would only help this offense open up more. 100% agree with you there. Um, just to transition quickly here, a couple tight ends uh, that you're maybe looking at value-wise, Adam Troutman and Donald Parham. Uh, Troutman, obviously, with Greg Dulcich getting hurt and, and not coming back into that game, he is looking like he's going to be the main tight end in that room there. I don't think it's ever going to be a fun option to have to start Adam Troutman, but kind of like a you know a mini Tyler Higby, you know, kind of worse at everything Zach Ertz situation where he's going to be the, you know, he's going to sit in soft zones right in the middle of the field after he sheds off a block. And, you know, he's going to be there to pick up some targets. He had five, uh, five targets, five receptions for 34 yards. Again, nothing spectacular, but maybe a cheap tight end replacement option. If uh, these injuries to many of the tight ends around the national football league are sustained here. Um, you know, he may be a, a gross plug and play option for you. And then Parham, Dude's six eight and caught a touchdown. That's really all I can say about him. I don't know if you have any more on there, but the dude is a really big end zone threat. Yeah, I just think I think with Parham, it's a it's a thing about just tracking to see if the, there is a role that continues. Like obviously, Everett, we're not forgetting that Everett is the starting tight end, but like depending on what the role Parham has, it might just be just as valuable. And just for reference, you know how Cole Komet was a top twelve dynasty tight end Cole Cole Komet went five for seven for 44 yards so basically he had two more targets and 10 more yards than Troutman which I we're not saying Troutman is a great option but 8.4 points uh, only 15 tight ends last year averaged over seven points per game on the season so it's ugly but it may be an opportunity and it may just be a really desperate play but something to look at maybe in a week where you need a tight end maybe you had Kelsey this week and for whatever reason your other tight ends weren't weren't uh, options you might have been okay with 8.4 points. 100%. Yeah, it, like I said, it's going to be gross if that's who you're starting. But when you're trying to compete, man, you got to do what you got to do. So keep an eye on that. Uh, do you have anybody else uh, that you want to talk about quickly? Last one, Zeke. And I'm only bringing him up for the fact that he had six points this week, basically just doing the garbage work. And if they end up having a week or becomes more of a, of a role where he's the goal line guy, because Stevenson didn't have the cleanest game. He was kind of saved by receptions this week, too. If you take on a touchdown to that garbage or the, the dirty work, he's at 12.3 12, 12 points. So that's that's flex option or running back two option. So not saying it's something that's going to happen every week, but keep an eye on it. Maybe, maybe Zeke is a fourth-round uh, pick right now, and I might trade a fourth for Zeke just for the depth. 100% agree with you there. It's it's Again, it's gross, but maybe it works, and that's really what we are looking for here. Guys, thank you all for tuning in this week. We appreciate everybody who took the time to listen to this. Um, as always, make sure you hop in the description below. Check out our Discord. Uh, over 500 members in there actively talking football all day, every day. Uh, I'm, and I mean it when I say it. The number of times I wake up to a bunch of messages that came through at 1, 2, 3, 4 in the morning. It's constantly going. It's never stopping. If you want more specialized advice from the team here, uh, consensus sit starts, uh, in-depth team breakdowns, check out our Patreon. It's a nice, cheap way to see uh, if you can elevate your game to the next level. And make sure you check out our Clips catalog as well, where you can check on all of the things that we just said we said 
plus all of the other 500 plus takes that we've made throughout the offseason, uh, dating back quite a bit there. So if you ever want to see what we think on your favorite players, you can hop in there and take a look at it. You can find me on Twitter at Perry underscore FF. You can find Tim on Twitter at nubs with two N's and two B's. And you can find all things JWB at JWB underscore FF. And until next time. Thank you.